Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So Lord, we pray as we study this story that you told that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, that, we would, that our hearts would see and hear what you have to teach us. And, that, and we pray that you would cause your word to bear fruit in our lives. For the glory of your name. Amen. What does the word prodigal even mean? We don't use it anymore. Uh, there's, it doesn't show up in the story itself, so we don't really have any context clues for what it might mean. Um, it's just the heading that someone added to the English translation of the Bible back in the 18th. Uh, the word prodigal has a couple of connotations. It could mean wastefully extravagant spending or simply lavish spending, over-the-top spending. So the son, described as prodigal, is wastefully extravagant with his share of his father's estate. He spends all his money on parties and fine food and strong drinks. But as anyone from the Middle East could tell you, uh, even to this day, the worst thing the son did was to ask for his inheritance in the first place. When he goes to his father and says, give me what's coming to me, give me my share of the estate, what he's saying to his father, culturally speaking, is, I wish you were dead. And the, the outrage that this kind of request should spark isn't all that foreign, even, even here in the United States. Pretty much everywhere in the world, it's considered bad taste at best to ask your parents or your grandparents what they're going to leave you when, you when they die. It's a sign that you care more about their stuff than you care about them. But this son does more than just say he wants his father dead. He also acts like his father is dead because even though his father has a will, as long as he's, supposed, as long as he's alive, he's supposed to be the controller, the, the one who runs the estate. And yet the younger son goes ahead and sells his portion and leaves. He gets as far away from the father as he can. He makes himself as comfortable as he can. He forgets his father, and for a time, he even forgets himself, who he is. He loses his identity. And then when famine, hardship strikes, uh, and he's starving, when the people around him are unkind and he has no friends, Jesus tells us he came to his senses. Actually, a more accurate translation of that phrase would be, he came to himself. He remembers who he is. He's a son with a father, and he begins longing for home. Even if he can get in as a servant, it would be good just to be home in his father's house. So he rehearses an apology and begins the journey home. I remember the, the first time I drove home from university, uh, I was convinced that I could make it from Birmingham, Alabama to Jacksonville, Florida in seven hours flat. Uh, this, is a, this is a trip, by the way, that had t- always taken eight or more hours with my parents. Uh, and I, So I was convinced that I was a better driver than either of them, and so I sped my way out of Birmingham 
confident that I would get to brag and give them a hard time for being such slow drivers. Less than an hour into my trip, uh, a police officer pulled me over and gave me a ticket with a sickeningly large fine attached to it. Uh, And then I had the rest of my trip, which was more than eight hours, uh, to think about what will I say when I get home. That's, that's the younger son. He rejects his father but still wants the, the benefits of his father's estate. Uh, he runs as far away fr- from his father as he can get. He drinks himself into a stupor with the pleasures of this world. And only when he hits rock bottom, only when he's literally starving, does he see what he's lost. And he has a long journey home to think about what he's going to say to his father. Now, we often focus on the younger brother, uh, the one who who wasted the inheritance, the prodigal son, uh, but the other sons know better. In fact, Jesus is actually telling this story to an audience that was questioning his mission. Why, they asked themselves, is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, traitors to the nation of Israel, if he's supposed to be the Messiah, if he's supposed to be the one who will deliver us from our captivity? Why does it seem like all the wrong people are getting his time and attention? And so Jesus writes these critics into the story. So after this older brother returns uh, and his father throws a party, or sorry, after the the younger brother returns and 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 his father throws a party to celebrate, the younger brother, or the older son, sorry, uh, comes home from work and he refuses to go in out of righteous indignation. When the father leaves the party to plead with him to come in, we get a glimpse at this son's heart and we see that it is just as far away from his father as his brothers. He's been going about his work for his father dutifully for years and never gets any kind of pleasure like the other son got to have when he was out partying. The younger son went out and spent his money on prostitutes while the older son was at home working without even the occasional roasted meat to liven things up. All this bitterness against his brother because he actually desires the same things. But he expects them as a reward for good behavior. He's just as worldly as his brother. And he reveals his true heart when the father asks him to join the party. As far as he's concerned, the father has been holding him back from getting everything out of his wealth that he could. So it's worth pausing here to ask the question, where's your heart? Where's my heart? What does your heart desire? Are you running away from the father because you want to find satisfaction and happiness out in the world? Without him? Are are we looking to comfort, prestige, or power to give us happiness? Or maybe a better way to phrase it would be this. Are we looking to nice stuff, a good following on social media, a wallet of cash to spend to give us happiness? When whatever we're trying fails to give what it promises to give, where do we go next? Or maybe, maybe uh, you're inside the father's house, but you're looking out with resentment. Does life in the father's house seem dull and boring 
compared to the vivid ecstasies of the world outside? Are you tired of living in the light when the folks living in darkness seem to have a lot more fun? Are you wondering what the rewards of obedience are when disobedience seems so easy? These sons, we need our good father. In the father's house is provision for all that we, these sons, could need. In the father's house, even in the midst of famine outside, there is provision. In the father's house, even in the midst of death outside, there's life. Defying all logical parenting practices, this father gives away a third of his estate to his son who wants him dead and desires things that ultimately will kill him. According to the customs of the culture, uh, a son who makes this kind of request, uh, a, a son who shames his family and leaves them behind the way this son does, is dead to his family of origin. The parents, the brother, the staff, everyone in the neighborhood all have every right to act as if he no longer exists. And yet, when the son returns, what does the father do? From a long way off, he sees a dead man. A man who has wished him dead to his face. A man who has left his family behind. And Jesus tells us he is moved with compassion. His first response is love. His gut reaction to this dead man is desire to bring him back to life. So he defies all social custom. He doesn't even wait for his son to get to the property. In front of all the members of the household, in front of all the neighbors, he runs to the son who wished him dead, who nearly killed himself, and wraps him up in a hug and kisses him. He's so overjoyed, he's so unbothered by what the neighbors will think that before the son can even finish his rehearsed apology, the father is already planning a feast. Who cares what the neighbors think? Who cares what the staff thinks? The father has gotten his son back. It's time to celebrate. Again, in, the, in this beautiful reunion scene, it's easy to lose sight of the father's love for the older son. But remember Jesus' audience. He's talking with some of the Pharisees who are indignant that Jesus, the Messiah, who prophets promised would redeem Israel, is feasting and celebrating with the wrong sorts of people. That's why the story keeps going. While the household is in the middle of the party, music, dancing, roast beef, the older son returns and refuses to go in. Again, defying all social customs of propriety, the father doesn't send a servant with orders for this son to join the celebration. He doesn't scold the son. He goes outside himself and pleads with his son Come in, join us for this feast. 
But his son's answer shows us that he's not just upset with his brother. He has a problem with the father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Even though he stayed and worked as a business partner in the family estate, his heart is far away from his father. By his own words, he considers his work with the father slavery. And here he is complaining about how they never have any good parties when just inside there's music and dancing and roast beef and fine drinks and they're having a great time. The father doesn't get into the details of his son's outburst. He doesn't give a point-by-point rebuttal of why what the son's saying is irrational. He doesn't get angry. His final words reveal the core truth of Jesus' story. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Notice that that gentle reminder, this brother of yours. Here's the core truth. In the kingdom of God, when something dead returns to life, the right response is celebration. Remember Luke 13, Jesus is talking about the same feast that the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of. He's showing us that this is a feast not of reward for those who kept their heads down and did their duty. No. This is a feast of celebration for what God, our gracious host, has done. Raised dead things to life. Just like the father whose first response to a dead man is compassion, God looks at us with love. Listen to the words from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I would encourage you, look at, look at the picture that's on the, the insert in your uh, order of service while I read this and, and while I uh, come to the end of my sermon because it'll be really, a, it's a helpful image for you to hear what it is Jesus has done for us. Listen to, to chapter two of Ephesus, of, of the letter to the Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler the kingdom of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at works in, in, in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great Love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
Are you wondering this morning if you can have life with God? Are you full to bursting from gratifying the cravings of, of your flesh, the, these, these uh, guilty pleasures? Are you worn out from following the whims of your unsatisfied body or your fickle heart, and yet you still feel like you're starving to death? Do you wonder, after all you've tried, after all you've done apart from God, after all the ways you've said to him, I wish you were dead, do you wonder if God will still have you? The overwhelming answer in all of Scripture is, yes, God will have you. He wants you in his house. He wants you as his daughter or son. Most of Jesus' friends, most of the people he ate, wake, he ate with were just like you and me. He died so that he could get us back because the only way we can live is with him. All the other cravings we have, nice stuff, good reputation, cash in our wallets, all these things are the dust in the grave that apart from Christ we are all lying in. Again, look at the picture in your sermon uh, guide. God sent his son to die for us so that in him, in his resurrection, we can have new life. In him, God can pull us out of the dusty grave beautiful picture. This morning, if you're in that grave, if you're choking on the dust and starving to death, I invite you, during communion, come and pray with one of our, with one of our, our prayer ministers or talk to one of us on staff after the service. We would love to help you start that journey home and start living in the Father's house. If you're observing Lent this season and it's beginning to feel more like drudgery than like joy, uh, or if you're just in a dry spell in, in your walk with Christ, if your heart is pulling you to the path of least resistance, uh, to the enticing dusty grave of, of nice stuff, popularity, cash in your wallet, this Sunday, I pray you have a fresh experience of what it's like to feast with our good Father I pray you fall in love afresh with him today. I pray you see clearly again that simply getting to be with him, to know him, is so much better than the temporary and guilty pleasures of this world. Our God is a God who gives us, his children, more than we could ever deserve. The car that you rode, in, rode here in, the clothes on your body, Every heartbeat, every breath in your lungs is a gift. We have so much more than we could possibly ask for or imagine. Our God is a God who, even though our hearts may turn towards the dusty grave a thousand times, always runs to meet us with a warm embrace on the journey home. Our God is a God who gave his own life gave up all the riches of heaven because he would rather enjoy those riches with us than without us. Our God is a God who raises dead things to life. We celebrate this work of God every Sunday with the Feast of Holy Communion. Here at God's table, he is the host. 
And we are his daughters and sons who are welcome to feast with him. Every Sunday, we look back to that first Easter Sunday where God conquered death, and we look forward to the celebration he's invited us to, that last feast when he returns in power to rule the world. Every Sunday, even in Lent, we get to have a taste of this feast to come. So whether you're like the younger brother coming home from running away, or like the older brother wondering what's in it for you, Jesus' story is an invitation. Come on in. Join the feast. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.